Welcome to Everyday Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, nurse practitioner, Cynthia Thurlow. This podcast is designed to educate, empower, and inspire you to achieve your health and wellness goals. My goal and intent is to provide you with the best content and conversations from leaders in the health and wellness industry each week and impact over a million lives. Metabolic health is a huge focus of my work and something I'm incredibly passionate about. Over the past year, I have watched this incredible rising star author and biochemist, glucose goddess, Jesse in Chaupe, who joined me today to have a really vibrant discussion about the impact of glucose metabolism and glucose spikes and she does such a beautiful job explaining the science in a way that is incredibly accessible. She is really a gift in the space. And today we spoke at great length about her background, how an accident created a pain to purpose story for her, the role of continuous glucose monitors, the impact of glucose spikes and how it impacts our mitochondria, inflammation and oxidative stress, the role of glycation in aging, how weight gain is a protective aspect of glucose spikes, or what I refer to as hyperglycemia, the role of vinegar, movement, fiber, and clothes on your carbs, her new book, her opinions on fasting, and so much more. Jessie was in a complete delight to interview, and you will be able to see why she is such a beloved author in the health and wellness space. Her enthusiasm is truly contagious. I know you will enjoy our discussion. Jesse, I've been really looking forward to this conversation. I think your book is so needed in the space. You've got this new book coming out, which I've had the honor of being able to look at. It's absolutely beautiful. The colors draw you in. You can see your personality. Talk to my listeners about how this book came about, because I understand that you had an accident that kind of led to this, this journey, this kind of serendipitous journey to where you are today. Could you share that with the listeners? Because I do think it's relevant. I always think the pain to purpose or having gone through something that is a powerful impetus to find your way out or find a a way or solution to a a problem that you're having. You said it so well, the pain to purpose um, really resonates. So I broke my back when I was 19 years old in a freak accident, jumping off a waterfall with friends like trying to have fun. Well, I was trying to be cool and I want, I was terrified, but I did it anyway because I wanted to be cool. It was a big mistake. <laughs> so in the fall, well, when I hit the water, one of my vertebrae exploded just out of the pressure of the water on my tailbone. And so I had to have very intense surgery. I have lots of metal in my back now. I'm like a robot. And no, I don't ring at the TSA security <laughs> things. And people always ask me that. So physically I healed really well, which was amazing. But After this accident, at the age of 19, I started getting a lot of mental health issues. So anxiety, depression, dissociation, panic attacks. I couldn't really look at myself in the mirror without having a panic attack because I just felt everything. My brain was completely broken. I would look at my hands and feel like they weren't mine. I was in this weird brain fog all the time. I was in a lot of pain, a lot of pain. And... So 
through that pain came a very clear understanding that health is the most important thing in our life. And if we don't have our health, we don't have a lot. So I decided to go on a sort of journey or quest to figure out how to get back to health. And so that led me first to go to grad school for biochemistry to try to understand the human body on a cellular level. And then I moved to San Francisco and I worked in genetics for five years in a very cool startup. And while both of those things were really interesting, I still hadn't really reconnected with my body at that point. I was sort of, you know, functioning, uh, <laughs> shot nervous. So like I was functioning, but I was not okay. I was not healed. I was still looking for a lot of answers. But then while I was in Silicon Valley, something quite serendipitous happened. I was able to try on a continuous glucose monitor as part of an internal research pilot that was happening at the company I was working. And I don't have diabetes. Okay. So these are, you know, devices made for people with diabetes. And somehow I felt like I should try this. I was really, really drawn to it. So I put on the glucose monitor and in a matter of a couple of days, everything changes for me because I start seeing that the more irregular my blood sugar is, the worse my mental health is. And that for me, Cynthia, was after eight years of being in the total darkness about what I needed to do to improve my mental health, I felt like I finally had a first step. I was like, oh my God, like maybe this is, there's something here to dig into, to understand. So I read like all the scientific studies on glucose I could find. I had like a million tabs open on my browser. I was like, this is so fascinating. Like what's going on? Why is this affecting me? And I learned a few things. I learned that I wasn't alone, that many people without diabetes also can have irregular blood sugar levels. And I learned that these could lead to many different symptoms from brain fog to more depression or anxiety symptoms to fertility issues to like poor sleep, to cravings, to hunger, and, you know, obviously to diabetes. And so I was like, this is wild. Like, I, I, this is, I just became completely passionate about the topic. And then I was like, okay, I need to balance my glucose levels so I can feel good. And I wanted to improve my mental health. But I don't want to give up foods that typically make our blood sugar levels irregular, like pasta and cake. Like, I love that stuff. I didn't want to give it up. And so through the scientific studies and through reading all of them and summarizing them, I was able to come up with these principles, very simple lifestyle food principles that allow us to study our glucose levels, feel much better physically and mentally without going on an extreme diet. And so that creation of mine has led to you know, a big, big Instagram community, my first book, now my second book, which is even more practical than the first one. Yeah, now it's my whole life. It's really exciting because as a clinician, I think we tend to compartmentalize things like this macronutrient is good. This one is bad. No one should do this. Everyone should do that. And the recognition that through your kind of pain to purpose journey, that utilizing a CGM and starting to kind of think about the net impact of your blood sugar regulation on how you felt and how you slept and how you interacted with your environment, I think is so powerful. And for me, I remember when I read your book, because, you know, I'm one of those people, I'm like, I like to be in the know. There's a lot of buzz about this book. Let me read it. And I immediately had my monthly group read it. And I started recommending it because it talks a great deal about things that you can do proactively that can help metabolic health 
but don't involve extremes. And I, I think for a lot of people, it's meeting our patients and our clients where they are. It's not saying like, this works for me, therefore it has to work for everyone. And I acknowledge that um, what works for me may not work for other people and that's okay. But I love that your work is really speaking to allowing people to enjoy living their lives without feeling like they live in a lot of deprivation. So let's talk about the purpose of glucose in the body. So obviously on a cellular level, and you do a beautiful job of making the science really accessible. And that is a gift, um, you know, for listeners, because there are lots of wonderful people that come on the podcast, but they're talking like they're speaking to a graduate student or another clinician. And you really take this complex, these complicated concepts and make them very accessible. So understanding the role of glucose and how it impacts our food choices. Like let's start there because I think for a lot of people, they're probably very humbled to know that when your blood sugar is not properly maintained, it can cause those cravings and those hunger cues and the lack of satiety that can lead to, let's just say less than stellar choices in terms of food that we're consuming. Absolutely. So the place I like to start is sort of explaining that glucose is your body's favorite source of energy. So every cell in your body uses it for energy. So right now, Cynthia, both your brain cells and my brain cells are using glucose to like think and, and chat. Our heart cells are using glucose to pump blood throughout our body. Like every part of your body loves using this for energy. And the main way that we as humans give this glucose to our body is through eating what we call carbohydrates. So starchy foods like bread, pasta, rice, potatoes, or sweet foods like chocolate cake, ice cream, fruit, fruit juices, whatever that's sweet. So starchy and sweet foods give glucose to our body. And so you might think, okay, I want lots of energy. So I should eat as many carbs as possible to give my body as much energy as possible, right? And that's a pretty common logical next step, but actually it's wrong. It's a bit like the plants that I have around me. I love plants. I know that to keep my plants alive, I need to give them some water. But if I give them too much water, then they die. And the human body is similar. Some glucose is foundational, but too much and problems start happening. And, you know, scientists across the world have run incredible experiments showing that when your glucose levels are not steady and, you know, low enough, when they go up and down and up and down, there's too much glucose in your system. So many things start happening. And you mentioned satiety and cravings. The scientists have found that when your glucose levels are low, which can happen after a spike, it goes spike and then low instead of staying steady, that the craving center in your brain activates and tells you literally, Cynthia, find some cookies, find some burgers. Like you can't even resist that very strong ancestral drive coming from inside your brain. And the more glucose spikes you have, the more hungry you are, the more fatigued you are, the more brain fog you might experience, the more you might have skin issues like acne, psoriasis, eczema, the faster you age, which is very interesting. We can get back to that. Essentially, every system in your body starts malfunctioning when glucose is out of whack because it's in every single one of our cells and it's so foundational to your body's functioning. Having it not be healthy and steady leads to many issues. So that's the short-term stuff. But then long-term, too much glucose for too long you know, is the main driver of type 2 diabetes. So we're kind of in a situation where we need to steady our glucose levels to feel good today and to prevent issues tomorrow. But the question is, how do we do that? Mm -hmm. 
Well, and it's interesting because one of the things that really stood out in the book when I initially, your first book, let me just clarify, the impact of spikes. So we're talking about these blood sugar spikes and yes, in response to food, and it can be dependent on the type of foods we're eating, whether it's protein, fat, or carbohydrates can have a more negligible or a more substantial impact on these blood sugar spikes. But you talk about what happens to our mitochondria when we have these blood sugar spikes. So they're not benign. Unfortunately, I think there are still people that are like, oh, it's not a big deal. Um, We can even get more nuanced and say, you know, if it goes up by 30 points, you know, that's, you know, more than 30 points is quite significant on a CGM or a glucometer. But let's kind of talk about these little mitochondria, which, you know, my listeners are pretty savvy. They understand what they are and what they do. But when you make that connection between the spike and what's happening in the mitochondrial level, like the cellular level, it's like, wow, that's really like impactful to understand how significant these are. Yeah. And these are very central to your body's functioning and just how much energy you have, right? As your listeners know very well. But so your mitochondria on a regular day, if everything is steady and everything is good, they transform glucose into energy. That's their job. So they love a steady stream of glucose. But when too much glucose comes too quickly to them, so that's when a glucose spike takes place, your mitochondria become overwhelmed and they kind of shut down. They kind of like too much, too much information, cannot deal. You know, imagine you have like 500,000 emails that arrive in your inbox at the same time. You're just going to close your computer because you just can't. So the mitochondria feel the same when too much glucose comes their way. They just can't. They become stressed. They produce free radicals, uh, which also leads to inflammation. And most importantly, they just can't make energy efficiently anymore because they're shut down and on strike. So you feel tired. So you feel like you can't pick up your kids from school. You grocery shopping is exhausting. You can't really handle stress that well. Like when your mitochondria are damaged, your life force is damaged. So understanding that too much glucose too quickly is harming your mitochondria is key to understanding why so many of us are eating all these sweet foods and these carbs, but we feel chronically fatigued, right? And that big myth of you need sugar in the morning to have energy, that feeling that you get when you eat sugar is actually not energy. It's dopamine. So when we eat something sweet, lots of dopamine gets released in the brain. And this kind of makes us feel high. We're like, whoa, you know, you feel it. You're like, whoa, I feel so awake. Actually, it's not energy. Again, it's pleasure. It's dopamine. But on the inside, your mitochondria are slowly becoming damaged. So energy production is compromised. And it's really interesting because it makes sense in terms of our kind of hedonistic culture. You know, here in the United States, I mean, there's Uber Eats and all sorts of horrible things that have been invented that people have accessibility to anything at any time, whether it's binging on Netflix or, you know, having like- like Okay. I'm, I'm just, I have teenagers and sometimes like during the oh. pandemic, they would say, Oh, I don't want to eat dinner. And then Uber eats would somehow show up. And my husband and I didn't know this was happening. So oh, I'm wow. just from the context of being the parent gotcha. of teenagers, gotcha, other, gotcha. other than that, sorry, Uber eats. But it, it's definitely one of those things that like you just start to realize some of our habits just become these hedonistic pleasures. And so it makes yes. so much sense that dopamine is driving that pleasure feeling and that pleasure seeking behavior. And we have access everywhere all the time right, to all the candy bars, all the sugar we want. So we're in a food landscape that is designed to make us eat all this stuff that creates dopamine in our brain. I mean, it makes sense, you know, and the food companies are really happy that we're eating all this stuff because it's making them money. So the question is like, how do, how do you navigate 
this landscape without saying like, I'm never eating sugar again. Cause that's just not realistic for most people. And I want to eat sugar. You know, I don't want Brussels sprouts for my birthday. So how do you <laughs> like a Brussels sprout cake? Like, Oh my God, no, I want like the triple chocolate fudge layer. You know, I want, I want all the chocolate. So how do we work in this landscape? And that was really one of the main questions I was asking myself when I discovered the science of glucose. I was like, how do we make this better for our bodies, but without doing anything too extreme? Right. And I think that that's really important that we've gotten to a place, I feel like, where we've gotten rigidly dogmatic about whether it's a nutritional principle or kind of the way that we look at lifestyle, that it has to be super rigid. And again, what I love about your message is meeting people where they are and saying like, yes, I still want to have that piece of cake on my birthday and no, I don't want to live in deprivation. So how do we find a workaround? So one of the first tenets of your first book is really talking about the world of vinegar. So let's start the, like, let's kind of pivot the conversation because I found this so fascinating. I was like, how much vinegar do I have in my house? And I'd never thought about it in this capacity. And yet it's something that's so helpful in such an easy way. Like, it's not like you're buying some weird supplement. It's something you probably have in your pantry, very likely have and use all the time for and in different capacities. Yeah. Vinegar is very interesting. And actually, when you look back, you notice that vinegar has been used for centuries in so many different cultures, you know, especially in Europe around the Mediterranean, like vinegar in French food and Italian food, like it's just everywhere. And so I came across these fascinating clinical trials showing that one tablespoon of vinegar in a big glass of water. So we're talking like, you know, big glass like this, in a big glass of water before a meal can reduce the glucose spike of that meal by up to 30% without you changing what you're eating at all. So this is probably one of the hacks that people gravitate the most towards because it almost feels like a magic pill. And I just want to preface like, this is the only one that's sort of magic pill thing. Everything else is based around food. And I think it's important to note that but yeah vinegar is fascinating so now you know before i have like a big bowl of pasta i have a little vinegar drink because i want to eat the pasta but also you know why not reduce the glucose spike if i can why not reduce the inflammation and the mitochondrial stress and all the other side effects and symptoms and common questions i get are can it be any type of vinegar yes it can be any type of vinegar the most popular one being apple cider vinegar because it's just considered to be the most delicious one, but you can use any type of vinegar you want. So that's pretty cool. And yeah, try it out, you know, before a meal, tablespoon of vinegar, big glass of water, and see if you feel less of that energy crash afterwards. See if you feel less of those cravings after the meal. For some people, it's really powerful and it's one of my favorites. Yeah. And it's interesting because I, I think for a lot of people understanding, you know, limiting those glucose spikes or eliminating significant glucose spikes is really the way to navigate I don't like to use the word anti-age, but I think all of us are aging, but we want to age in a the most benign direction that we can go. And, you know, one of the things that you really focus in on or, or bring to people's attention is the role of glycation and the impact of these glucose spikes and understanding that you always have these beautiful analogies like toasted bread, that's glycation. So helping people understand that by limiting these glucose spikes, you are in essence supporting you know, cellular aging, but doing it in a much more kind of graduated as opposed to an accelerated way that I think for yeah. a lot of individuals, they're not making that connection that if you're pre-diabetic, diabetic, not metabolically healthy, you are actually aging faster from the inside out. Well, think about two people, you know, who are the same age. Let's think about two people who are both 65 years old. Like 
you can tell that one person is biologically much older than the other one, right? You can see it on their face. Maybe they have more wrinkles, but you can also tell like they're less physically active. Their organs seem to be in worse shape. Like we can impact how we age. It's not just a matter of how many years you've been on the planet. Like the inside of your body will age at different speeds depending on how you're living your life. And so the glycation topic is very interesting. So from the moment a human being is born, they start slowly cooking, <laughs> which is another word for glycating, like a chicken in the oven. And then when you're fully cooked, when you're fully glycated, that's when you generally die. Uh, and so this process happens and it's inevitable. We can't stop glycation. It's happening every second in your body, but you can slow it down or speed it up. And one of the ways you can affect how quickly it's happening is by affecting your glucose levels. And so glucose and glycation, they sound a little bit similar. It's because glucose is responsible for glycation. So when a glucose molecule bumps into another molecule in your body, it glycates it. And when this happens to, for example, collagen, when collagen gets glycated, wrinkles form on your face uh, faster. Uh, when other molecules get glycated, other issues happen. But essentially, the fewer glucose spikes you have, the slower this process will happen. And as a result, you'll be aging more slowly. So this will be visible externally, you know, in your face with the wrinkles, for example, which is like the, the most outwardly physical marker, I would say, of glycation. And then on the inside, your organs will stay healthier for longer, which is what we all want. Uh, yeah, so that's glycation for you. Yeah, I think it's it's certainly very relevant. I know that, you know, after many years of working in healthcare, one of the things that became apparent to me was, you know, I'd walk into a patient's room and sometimes I'd have to take a triple check, like looking at the patient's chart, looking at the patient saying, gosh, that patient either looks much younger or they look much older than the and actually average. 75 years old, Cynthia. <laughs> <laughs> Big secret. But one of those things that would always kind of take me aback when someone was an outlier, like, wow, that whatever they're doing, they need to continue doing it because they look fantastic. Or, you know, based on a lot, oftentimes lifestyle choices, people can certainly accelerate the aging process. Now, when you were initially kind of putting the first and, and now your second book together, really thinking thoughtfully about kind of the orders of operation or the orders of, or the type of macronutrients, like how to eat them in sequestion so that's going to have the least net impact on your blood sugar. And I think for a lot of us, my mom is Italian and my mom was all about salad and greens. I mean, it was like, there wasn't a meal that didn't have salad and greens. And she's still that way. Like my mother just came to visit and she was like, why aren't you eating more spinach? Why aren't you having more skin? I mean, it's, you know, these Italian moms, they're very thoughtful, <laughs> but understanding that starting your meal with greens and fiber has a profound impact on your blood sugar regulation. And I think that this is probably surprising for some, not surprising for others, but I love that you put it in such a way that it makes it very clear. Like when you go to a restaurant or you're eating at home, this is the order of foods that you should work through before you get to something savory or sweet. Yeah. And your, your mom is right. So the most important thing to remember is that you should be trying to have veggies first. So every meal start with your veggies. And the reason we do that, and the reason why so many cultures have done this for so long, is because when you eat veggies at the beginning of a meal, the fiber in those veggies is going to perform a protective act and sort of create this mesh in your intestine and slow down how quickly all the rest of the food is coming through your digestive tract. And as a result, 
you know, reduce any spike that might be coming down from like the pasta or the rice, or the chocolate cake afterwards. So that veggies first thing is super, super, super powerful. And this is a hack that I really encourage people to try because it actually asks you to eat more than usual, which is counterintuitive, you know, but by eating more than usual, you can really impact your glucose levels. And as a result, impact your hunger levels, your cravings. And so overall, you're probably going to be eating less because you're going to have, you know, satiety is going to be so much more fantastic. Uh, so yeah, veggies first is great. And there's a scientific study that switched the order of eating the elements of a meal. So they did two different ways of eating. They did, they did veggies first, then proteins and fats, then starches and sugars, or they did the reverse. Okay. And they found that by eating in the veggies first and carbs last situation, they reduced the glucose spike of that meal by up to 75%. Okay. So that's Huge without changing how much was eaten, without changing the eating speed. You don't have to wait between the veggies and the rest of the meal. Simply by doing that and harnessing sort of the, the cultural wisdom and harnessing your body's biochemistry, you can have the same meal, but really impact your health in a very different way. I love that. And it's interesting because I definitely have experimented with this. Like on the occasion when I want to have something sweet, making sure I've got like all those other elements first. And then yeah. not only seeing the net impact on my CGM, which I occasionally wear, um, I did wear it for a long time. And I do think it's very helpful, even for those who are metabolically healthy mm-hmm. and NutriSense is one of our podcast sponsors. So I'll just put that out there. But I do think it's really helpful for people to understand, like, not only is there the the less net impact on that blood sugar, but also you feel so much better. I mean, how this many people so got accustomed to getting sleepy after a meal? That's not normal. Totally. <laughs> it's not a lot not of the things normal. that we think are normal, like the cravings, the inflammation, the fatigue, the difficult periods, the PMS, the endometriosis, like the menopause symptoms, like a lot of things that we consider normal, that we consider who we are, like, oh, I'm somebody who gets hangry, or I'm somebody who has low blood sugar, you know, that those kinds of things you might hear, those are actually not really you. Like, in my opinion, those are messages from your body telling you like, hello, hello, there's some problems <laughs> happening inside, like, please help me. <laughs> and generally, starting with balancing your glucose levels is going to be the foundation of health. Like you cannot have a healthy body and mind if your glucose levels are on a massive roller coaster all day. You just can't. So yeah, I, I did that switch myself, you know, when I when I first discovered glucose and I started realizing, oh, maybe all this mental health stuff was not my body fighting me or was not like who I was now. Maybe there was signals coming from my biology trying to communicate something to me. And from that moment on everything changed. Then I realized, oh, when I do these different things, those messages come way less frequently. Like I'm actually able to fix the root cause instead of, you know, feeling ashamed, medicating, suppressing, which by the way, can totally be helpful in some instances. But when you fix the root cause, those things just naturally dissipate. And I hear a lot, I'm sure you hear this too, Cynthia, people are addicted to sugar. Like I'm just addicted to sugar. I can't stop eating sugar. Well, often people might be creating that addiction with something as simple as having a sweet breakfast. Like if you have a sweet breakfast, you're creating a big glucose spike in the morning and that just keeps you on this roller coaster all day. And you're going to have craving after craving after craving. And you're like, why don't I have enough willpower? And it's not a willpower issue. It could very well be your biology just responding to that first spike in the morning. And that's why savory breakfast is also a very important principle. 
Yes, absolutely. And I think that awareness that you're kind of encouraging people to consider how some of their food choices, the, how they start their day, obviously I'm kind of in the intermittent fasting space. So whatever you're yeah. choosing to break your fast with, whether it's eight o'clock in the morning or 11 AM, understanding that the food choices that you're making can have a, an, an enormous impact on how you feel, but I would absolutely. imagine Yeah. I would imagine with all of the press that you've done for your books, that there probably have been some discussions about shame around food, because Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people, they feel powerless. And so what would be your reframe or your suggestion when someone is feeling ashamed, like, oh, I binged or, you know, I broke my fast or I, you know, ate breakfast and I didn't make a good decision, helping people kind of understand that, not all is lost. Like I always say the reframe is so important. Like how we speak to ourselves, how we internally speak to ourselves, how we speak outside of our bodies, really important. What would be your suggestion or what have been the things you've found that have been helpful for others? A couple of things. First, I would say like when you learn about these principles, right? So breaking your fast with something savory, having veggies first, having some vinegar, doing all this stuff. These are principles that are here for life. It's a bit like brush your teeth, drink water. Like, you know, this is good for you and you do it most days. Some days you don't brush your teeth because of X, Y, Z and it's okay, right? It's not like that particular day that not brushing your teeth is going to ruin everything. So I think that's important. Just knowing that whatever these guiding principles are, they're not a all or nothing approach. They're like little gentle giants to have in your toolbox to use whenever you want. And I also like to remind people that a way of taking care of yourself and your health is also just doing these principles when they feel good and when you want to do them. And when I wake up on a Sunday morning and I want chocolate ice cream for breakfast, I'll just have chocolate ice cream for breakfast. And I won't do any hack. I won't drink the vinegar before. And that happens. And that's totally fine because doing the hacks and not doing the hacks are both part of the same life. You see what I mean? So you just kind of weave them through your days, through your months, through your years, whenever it's easy. And also, I also want to mention that even if you don't do any of these things, but one day, two weeks ago at the restaurant, you had one salad leaf before the rest of your meal. Like that's already better than nothing. And that should be celebrated. Like you should celebrate those really small steps. So this is really important in my work just to, to encourage people to reframe and think like, okay, well, number one, you know this stuff. So that's already giving you a leg up. And that's already something you should be proud of because you're listening to this podcast. You decided I want to click on this and learn about my health. So just for that, you should celebrate yourself. That's already a great success. You see what I mean? Like, I think every single tiny thing is to be celebrated. And when you don't want to do the things, it's also part of your experience of it all. Well, I think it's really important for people to hear that message because again, I'll just keep, I'll just keep saying this sometimes in the health and wellness space, there are well-intentioned people that will just they're, they're very rigidly dogmatic. And, and I always remind people like bio-individuality rules and much to your point, even if you eat that one salad green, or, you know, maybe once a week you're having apple cider vinegar before your meal, or you're walking after a meal. And obviously we're going to get into talking about movement because it's such an integral part of blood sugar regulation. Each one of those things is significant. You don't have to do everything all the time and you don't have to be perfect. We're all perfectly imperfect. And I think that's, that's important to, to kind of share about that, but let's, let's pivot a little bit and let's talk about your new book. So obviously yeah. there are some, there are some themes and like I mentioned earlier, Jesse's book is has such beautiful photography in it, food photography, and you can really see your personality in it, which shows that you're like fun and vivacious and lots of bright colors. Yep, yeah. exactly right there. 
I love it. So let's talk about the new book. So you had 2,700 participants in since 2019 that have gone through this program. And I love that you mentioned it's all the focus is on health and healing. Like people sometimes come to these concepts or ideas because they have something tangible. Like I want to lose weight. I want to change body composition. I want my sleep to be better. But your focus and your intention was to have improved health and healing, which I think is such a beautiful focus. And it takes it takes kind of emphasis on the physicality. It's more like, let's focus on what's going on inside in our bodies, which will be reflected in the outside. Totally. Well, you know, because balancing your glucose levels is so foundational to your health, like if you're somebody who could feel better than you currently do, you should probably try this. Like that's really the pitch, (laughs) whether it's fertility, cravings, energy, skin, you want to put your diabetes into remission, you want to sleep better, you want to have less brain fog. Like it's just foundational to health. And so- my first book came out last year and it was a sort of really uh, very rich book with lots of hacks, lots of science, testimonials, the Agricus Revolution. And after that book came out, I know it changed many lives, but I also started getting some messages from people being like, Jesse, I love it. I want to do everything, but I need your help to actually do it. And people were asking me to move in with them and help them do the hacks day by day. So I thought, hmm, that's an interesting idea. Uh, so instead, I created this new book called The Glucose Goddess Method. And that's a four-week guide. It's like a fast track to study glucose. And in these four weeks, we incorporate one glucose hack per week for these four weeks. And by the end of it, your glucose is steady. You feel amazing. And there's lots of super easy recipes to do this in the book. And as you mentioned, I had um, almost 2,000 people go through this in October 2022 to go through the four-week plan. And the results are amazing. And again, like apart from the hacks, which are savory breakfast, vinegar, veggie starter, and movement, apart from the hacks, you can do whatever you want. There's no restrictions whatsoever. You just add these into your life. And I'll read you a few of the results, but 90% of people are less hungry 89% of people reduce their cravings, 77% of people have more energy. And there's lots more in the book, but just to show you, and again, this is not like a clinical trial, it's just an experiment, but it really has a profound impact in your days. And then when you feel much better, you feel more connected to yourself, to your purpose, to your life. Like it's a much nicer place to be. Absolutely. And I think, you know, for those of us that have written books and we have programs incorporated in the books, when it's something that's tangible, that people can successfully implement and they can see quick wins. So obviously the sleep, the stress management, the, you know, changes in body composition, which was not the focus, but I'm sure for many people just doing these, these little, they're not little, they're substantial, but yet Mm -hmm. they don't feel so overwhelming can certainly have a great deal of improvement. Now, one of the things that I know you talk about in both books and certainly is, is for our listeners, my listeners, certainly a huge pain point are, is sleep. And so most of my listeners are perimenopause, menopause. So 10 to 15 years preceding menopause. So women North of 35 yeah. sleep can suddenly become a huge problem. And this is why I think CGMs and glucometers are so beneficial because sometimes when people are waking up in the middle of the night, it's because their blood sugar is high. It could be because yeah. their blood sugar is low. Yeah. And so your participants did see significant improvements in their sleep quality and what have been yeah, some of the 58% the... of people sleep better yeah. after the four weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. in terms of research, what have you found about hyperglycemia or hypoglycemia in terms of 
impacting sleep quality. It's usually the, I woke up between one and 4 a.m. Either my heart was pounding or I woke up and I was sweaty. Neither yeah, of that's one of a which- very clear sign of basically having a glucose crash. That's one of the most common symptoms of having glucose crash in the night, which is you woke up, you're sweaty, your heart is pounding, and you just don't feel well at all. But it goes even beyond that because the scientific research shows us that if your glucose are deregulated, you're going to have less restful, less restorative deep sleep during your night. So you wake up and you're tired. And what happens when we're tired? We want sugar because we want to feel better. And so we grab a sweet breakfast and then we grab more sweet stuff. And then it's just a vicious cycle. Uh, but the good news is, you know, the studies show really wonderful improvements in your sleep quality and how easy it is to fall asleep and stay asleep when your glucose levels are steadier. So it's, again, it's a really important place to start. And for me, it changed things so much. Like I used to always go to sleep with a glucose spike and I would always wake up in the morning really tired and rely on a lot of coffee. Um, and I just thought that was like the human condition, you know, <laughs> I was like, Everybody around me seems to be going to the same. Everybody's exhausted. Everybody's caffeinated. I get. I guess this is just normal. <laughs> wild, huh? It is wild. And so yeah. when you're kind of talking to your community or you're being interviewed on podcasts, what is your thought process on eating too close to bedtime, impacting sleep quality, or eating when it's light outside, not eating when it's dark outside. And I'm saying this to a, to a European, so this is probably sacrilege, but just in the, in the perspective of what are your thoughts? Like what has been your experience and, and what have you found in the research? Because that chronobiology piece, I think is so impactful in terms of insulin sensitivity and all these other things that we're kind of talking about. Well, it's pretty clear from the science that it's better to eat when it's light out. And it's pretty clear from the science that it's better to have a lighter dinner, but like, I guess it's kind of up to you to figure out if you're going to make this part of your life. Personally, uh, this is one of the areas where I just love having a big dinner. I just love ha- eating a lot at dinner. It's the meal at which I eat the most. And I know it's not great, but you know, you gotta, you gotta pick your battles. <laughs> I use the hacks to try to reduce the impact. But what I have been doing that has been super helpful is getting light in my eyes in the morning when I wake up. I started doing this like a couple months ago and I just love it because that sets your circadian rhythm and that makes sure your body is producing melatonin around bedtime. That has changed everything for me. I really, really love it. Yeah. It's one of my favorite. Actually, I walk, uh, we have two dogs and we'll walk them in the morning. And so without sunglasses, not a visor, just walking the dogs. And it's, it's absolutely part of my connection with myself and kind of getting the day going. What has been your experience with um, menopausal women. So there were many of my listeners were kind of giving specific questions that they were hoping you would kind of touch on. And, you know, this isn't your area of expertise, but obviously the participants in, you know, the program, the glucose goddess method, I'm sure you had plenty of middle-aged women that were yes. probably struggling with blood sugar dysregulation. Yes, absolutely. So two things, one, the studies show us that the more glucose spikes you have, the more you're going to have symptoms of menopause, whether it's hot flashes, whether it's insomnia. Okay. Second, your hormonal system and your glucose levels are very tightly linked. So if your glucose levels are deregulated, whatever your age, you're going to be having more hormonal symptoms. So you're going to have worse menopause symptoms. You're going to have worse PMS symptoms. You might even skip periods and not ovulate if you're still in that phase of your life. So it's very clear that if you want to put, you know, stack the odds in your favor, it's very, very clear that you need to be steady in your glucose levels. Unfortunately, it's an area that has 
for a long time been very understudied. And I think, you know, things are really changing now, which is super exciting, but we definitely need more research. But just from a biological perspective, like we know that link is so clear between glucose and hormones that very good idea to study your glucose levels <laughs> if you want to help your menopause symptoms. And in the book, I have lots of testimonials from people who are going through menopause who talk about improvements, et cetera. So it's really cool to see. Yeah, I do agree with you. There definitely needs to be more research just in women in general. I know even when I was writing my book, and there's always that, well, why aren't there, wasn't there more research on women? And I said, I think that a woman's menstrual cycle is considered to be a variable that a lot of researchers don't want to work around. I mean, for Uh, fasting, it's a huge thing, right? There's mm -hmm. so much research done on men and so little on women. Yeah. Yeah. Except it's, it's lab animals, as you know, or obese menopausal women. And it's like everything else in between. It's like, okay, what has worked clinically, but I can't point to a research study and say, oh yeah, this is statistically significant. It's like five women. Um, Let's talk about how weight gain can be protective from glucose spikes because I found mm. this fascinating. It's it's really, again, a reframe because we think of it as, oh, you're just eating too much. Mm-hmm. No, that's actually not the case. Um, it could be that your body is trying to create a protective mechanism. Well, listen, your body at its core wants to keep you alive. Like your body is not fighting you. Your body is trying to keep you alive and trying to deal with what's happening, with what food you're giving it, how you're living, et cetera. So that's important to remember. Your body is your friend and is trying to help you. So when it comes to gaining fat on our body, we have a pretty complicated relationship with, with that concept. Like a lot of us are like, ah, oh, I gained some fat on my body, you're horrible. Well, actually one of the reasons that you gain fat on your body is that when there's excess glucose in your body, I'm saying your body a lot, but your body <laughs> tries to protect you from that extra glucose and stashes the extra glucose away into your fat cells into other places too, but in your fat cells too, to protect you from the damage, from the extra glycation, the extra mitochondrial stress that that spike is causing. So that's important to remember, like you should thank your body from, for putting that extra glucose away in your fat cells. Now, that being said, you know, like I understand why people want to reduce fat on their body. There's also, you know, different types of fats, depending on the type of fat where it is, and it will actually be really inflammatory and really harmful to your health. So it's important to remember that in the context of glucose spikes, when you reduce those spikes, you're giving your body a chance to not store so much into your fat cells and instead learn to burn fat for fuel, which as you know very well from your domain, which is really important, that's called metabolic flexibility. And the ability to burn fat for fuel is really key to having sustained energy, to not feeling lightheaded between meals, to not having low blood sugar, to just having a, a body that's in good health. Well, and I think it's it's such a impactful way to kind of find that reframe about weight gain, like understanding that your body's trying to find a protective way of yeah. reducing the net impact of hyperglycemia, but also understanding that these changes that you're suggesting, which I think are incredibly helpful, are ways that we can kind of realign that metabolic flexibility. And we do want our bodies to be able to use both stored fat and glucose or even ketones as as fuel substrates and not just glucose. Yeah, absolutely. Now, movement. I used to actually make fun of, I say this lovingly, we lived in Washington, DC for a long time and relocated during the pandemic. And we had these wonderful couples that would walk after meals in the evening. And we used to kind of look at them when we were younger, my husband and I, and we're like, why are they walking after meals? And yet this is ingrained in so many cultures. 
And yet we thought it was so funny. And now this is something we do actively. So let's talk Mm -hmm. about the role of movement and how it has a positive net impact on our blood sugar. Like what's happening mechanistically in the body when we're walking? Well, so every cell in your body likes using glucose for energy and your muscle cells are the same. So every time a muscle contracts, it is happy to use glucose for energy and we can use this to our advantage. So after a meal, if you use your muscles for 10 minutes and, you know, it can be anything from walking to cleaning your apartment, to doing the dishes, to playing with your dog, to doing some calf raises, to going to the gym, like whatever you want to do. Some of the glucose from that meal will go in priority to those muscles to fuel the contraction happening. And so as a result, you're reducing the spike of the meal because some of the glucose is going to be used by the muscles instead of sticking around and doing that big spike. So it's a, it's a really key part, actually, of balancing your glucose levels. And again, it can be super simple. So in the glucose goddess method in week four, we add those 10 minutes of movement once a day after one meal a day. And there's this new move that I love, and I mentioned it, it's the calf raises. So you can be sitting at your desk or in the chair and just you know, push up your feet onto the balls of your feet and just up and down, up and down, just using calf raises. There's a muscle in your calf that's really good at soaking up glucose. It's called the soleus muscle. Uh, and that's a really easy way to get that hack in, but you can do any other type of movement as well. Yeah, and I think it's all about making things that are accessible. So you don't need a special mm-hmm. equipment. You don't have to have a gym membership. You could literally put your shoes on, walk up and down the stairs in your house. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, it doesn't have to be, we don't have to make things complicated. And just lastly, let's talk about the savory breakfast. So this is the kind of last component or one of the four components in the new book. Um, and again, the photos in your book are absolutely beautiful. Thanks. Savory breakfast, let's differentiate that from a sweet breakfast and helping people understand how that can kind of set you up for your day with your blood sugar. So sweet breakfast is a breakfast that tastes sweet and is usually just carbs. And that's what most people have. So muesli, cereal, fruit juice, acai bowls, whatever sweet, like a pastry, blah, blah, all that stuff is going to create a big glucose spike. And as I explained, if you have a big glucose spike at breakfast, that's one big glucose roller coaster for the rest of the day. So you're tired, you have cravings, you're fatigued, you're hungry all the time. So in week one of the method, what we do is we switch to savory breakfast. And again, doesn't matter what time you have your breakfast. If you're fasting, you can have your breakfast at 4 p.m. Like it doesn't matter as long as it's a savory meal. So you want to build your savory breakfast around protein, add some fat, add some fiber, and then you can still have some starches if you want for taste. You know, you can add a slice of bread, you can add some potatoes for taste, as long as they're not the centerpiece of your breakfast. And then finally, a savory breakfast contains nothing sweet, except if you want, again, for taste, some whole fruit. So you can have like some banana, you can have an apple, strawberries, kiwi, whatever but nothing else that's sweet. And if you do that, you're setting yourself up for a day of steady glucose and feeling really amazing, having all this energy. And it really gives a completely new tone to your day. Like if you've always had a glucose spike at breakfast, you don't even know like how you can feel. <laughs> it's, it's a whole different universe. And because I was asked so much for recipe ideas and examples, you know, in the book, I, I really put a lot of effort and love into creating all these delicious savory breakfasts that are not all just eggs, because that's kind of the place we usually go. And we have lots of vegan options, vegetarian options, gluten-free options. And my intention with this book is that you open it and you're like, oh, it's easy. I get it. Five minutes, 
six ingredients. Most of the recipes don't even involve cooking. Um, and that should help you, you know, get on that fast track. You know, if you have a listener listening to you, maybe they, they've been underneath the rock for the past year. Maybe they don't know who you are. This is all new for them. Help them kind of navigate understanding, you know, thinking big picture. So glucose spikes, yes. Mitochondrial, you know, dysregulation, yes. Understanding like over the long term. So we didn't really talk about, you know, some of the long term or long term impact of too high blood sugar for too long. So whether it's nopal D, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's, which we now really think of as type three diabetes, PCOS in younger people, infertility, et cetera. We could talk about the skin manifestations. So talking kind of from a big picture level, mm-hmm. help them understand why blood sugar kind of wrapping this up, why blood sugar is so important. Like it's, it's just something that, when I look retrospectively over the last, you know, 40, 50 years clinically in the literature, it's really understanding how much our lifestyles have really impacted the way that we are aging. And I don't mean it on a, like a superficial level. I'm just saying like our quality of life metrics are largely impacted. I know if you travel outside the United States, which I know you do, um, sometimes I'm surprised to see how much healthier a lot of other nations are kind of navigating our modern day lifestyle. So here in the United States, about 92% of Americans are no longer metabolically flexible. And so really the big picture for me when I'm talking to patients is helping them understand like this is reversible. These are things we can change, but all these modern day diseases and disorders are really a byproduct of our lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, you said it, you know, essentially most of us are walking around with unsteady, uneven glucose levels that are causing all these symptoms that we don't even realize are symptoms that we think are just like, you know, our lot, the cravings, the, the fatigue, the skin problems, the fertility issues, the, the sleep issues, the diabetes, the pre-diabetes, the, you know, all this stuff. And actually we might feel overwhelmed. We might feel confused about this crazy food landscape we live in that's increasing all of these conditions. But by coming back to the science and the biochemistry of your body and by using these easy principles, you can not only help yourself today, you'll feel better, you know, you'll feel more energy, more your purpose, happier, but also help prevent all these diseases that are preventable. That's the key. And it doesn't have to be hard. It's not an intense diet. It's not this vague, like eat better, exercise more. We're talking very practical, simple, clear steps. Savory breakfast, vinegar, veggie starter, movement. If you start with those, as the pilot experiment shows, you're going to start seeing really incredible impact on yourself. And I hope that this is going to be your first step towards that long, happy life that you can enjoy because we only have one. Uh, And my intention is really that, just helping people make that first step in a way that feels approachable and friendly and really easy. Well, I can't thank you enough for your time today, Jesse. It's really been uh, an honor to connect with you. Thank you for the work that you're doing and being a bright light in this space. Please let listeners know how to connect with you, how to get a copy of your new book and your other book, Glucose Revolution, both of which I highly recommend. Got to check them out. Thank you. So Instagram at Glucose Goddess, my new book, The Glucose Goddess Method, out May 2nd. That's really the, I'm so excited about this book. Uh, And then you can go to my website, glucosegoddess.com. Um, and the books, The Glucose Goddess Method and my first one, Glucose Revolution, are available anywhere that you buy books. But please support bookstores. 
So, you know, buy online, buy at local bookstore. And uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it and send me a little DM with your amazing results. I'm always so happy to hear the feedback and the stories. Awesome. Thank you so much. If you love this podcast episode, please leave a rating and review, subscribe and tell a friend. 